Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Hello, my Mysterians. This is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. This week, I'd like to present a story about strange graves, odd burials, and weird epitaphs. You know, death comes to us all, no matter how healthy or sickly we are, no matter how wealthy or poor we may be, and no matter how pretty or plain we are. Our intelligence, whether highly rated or low on the scale, won't keep death from our door. The Bible tells us in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 14, in part, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So we all face death. I guess the question is, do we face death with fear and trembling, not knowing what's on the other side, as people call it, or do we face it with courage and even humor? There are examples all over the world of unique graves, strange burials, and even humorous gravestones. I'll start with a few epitaphs that may or may not be for real, but have been used in comedy for a long time. For instance, on the grave of a hypochondriac, we could read, See, I told you I was sick. Upon the headstone of an atheist, we read, All dressed up, no place to go. Legend gives us this inaccurate but humorous script from the non-existent tombstone of the great W.C. Fields. It is said that his stone famously reads, On the whole, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Alas, the great comedian was cremated, so no grave exists. But with his characterization of being quite the tippler, I'm surprised the crematorium didn't explode. I wonder how long it took the fire to go out. Some other famous epitaphs do exist, such as the one in Tombstone, Arizona's famous, or is it infamous, Boot Hill Cemetery on a less than grand grave marker. Here lies the body of Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. History tells us that Lester was a Wells Fargo agent in Naco, Arizona, which is right at the Mexican border. One day, a man came in to pick up a package, but it was damaged. The customer demonstrated his displeasure by opening fire on Lester, hitting him four times in the chest. Hardy soul that he was, Lester responded to the complaint with equal vigor and managed to end not only the argument, but his assailant as well before succumbing to his wounds. There is no information as to why Lester raided the dirt bed in Tombstone, though. Famous Canadian actor Leslie Nielsen, 
who is buried in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, has an epitaph letter rip on his gravestone. Apparently, it's in reference to a certain bodily function that some find humorous. Although nearby is a bench with a nicer Nielsen quote, sit down whenever you can. Merv Griffin, the talk show host, performer, and game show creator extraordinaire, has on his stone, I will not be right back after this message. Rodney Dangerfield, you know him, lies under a stone that reads, there goes the neighborhood. You know, even in death, he don't get no respect. Other less notable, not celebrities, I mean, have wit accompanying them to the afterlife. These epitaphs are no less humorous or noteworthy. In death, one can see humor in tragedy. Here's an example. Here lies good old Fred, a great big rock fell on his head. Yeah, poor Fred, he be dead. Accidental death apparently causes some inappropriate responses such as, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Not all attempts at humor work. Case in point, underneath this pile of stones lies all that's left of Sally Jones. Her name was Lord. It was not Jones, but Jones was used to rhyme with stones, trying to make their point the hard way, the boys in Vegas would say. Ah, well, not all things are made better with a laugh. Don't weep for me, Eliza, dear. I am not dead, but sleeping here. I am now, so you must be. Prepare for death and follow me. You know, the mister thinks a bit highly of his hold on Eliza, dear. Perhaps Eliza just wants to enjoy her time now. Who knows? Of course, we humans aren't the only ones who have epitaphs. In these days of fur babies and pet parents, our furry friends are family. So we raise them, feed them, and love them as family. So we also inter them as family. No matter what the pet. And then we give them really bad epitaphs such as, Chicken crosses over. She never found the answer to the age-old question. Why did the chicken cross the rope? Sorry if that one ruffles some feathers. Because that's an awful way to go. Of course, not all epitaphs are funny or goofy or even the point. Sometimes the residents of the graves are the focus of humor. And being that we're moving toward Halloween... Fake tombstones are the bearers of some incredibly bad groaners. A groaner is one that, when somebody tells it, you just go, Oh, I'm a goner, is one stone. I'm a ghost, is another. Ouija board. Just leave it alone. Bury them deep. You'll be next. And decompose. Sorry, that one just fell apart. There are strange graves and strange epitaphs out there, especially out there in Aurora, Texas. It's one I've mentioned before. In the waning years of the 19th century, the story was told about a supposed alien craft that crashed in Aurora, Texas after hitting a windmill. 
Which begs the question, if extraterrestrials are so intelligent and advanced, why do they keep crashing their aircraft? Anyway, the pilot's body was recovered as he had died in the crash. And they thought so much of the airship that they threw it down a well, what was left of it. And the pilot was given a burial in the local cemetery. Decent folks. They buried the thing. Years of discussion led to an attempt by officials to disinter the supposed alien to see if it was indeed not of this earth. But it was blocked by a little Texas law that states next of kin need to give authorization for the unearthing. Good luck with that one, fellers. The Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, France is no ordinary cemetery. It was built by Napoleon in 1804, and it is Paris's largest cemetery, covering some 98 acres of land or more. This cemetery is home to many iconic tombs and is the final resting place of many musicians, actors, writers, and performers. One of them is Fernand Arbelot, who died in Paris, France in the year of 1942. Arbelo is remembered for his dying wish that a monument be built on his grave, showing him gazing upon his wife. The tomb, very eerily, depicts a man lying on his back, holding up a disembodied head and gazing into its cold stone eyes. An epitaph reads, they were amazed at the beautiful journey which led them to the end of life. And not so beautiful. One story goes that Arbelo helped speed up the need for the monument by killing his wife and then committing suicide. Also in the Père Lachaise, in the Alley of the Acacias, a magnificent mausoleum lies. This monumental tomb, one of the largest in the cemetery, shelters the mortal coil of Countess Elizabeth Alexandrovna Demidoff, who passed away in the year of 1818. In her will, Countess Demidoff had written that a large part of her fortune, one million francs at the time, would be given to whoever will succeed in spending a whole year imprisoned within her tomb. Several people tried their luck. One died from a heart attack. Another one went crazy. No one managed to hold out for more than a few days. Feelings of unease and weakness are experienced by passers-by, and it gives some strength to the rumor that this countess was actually a vampire. Florence Irene Ford died of yellow fever in 1871 when she was just 10 years old. Throughout her young life, she feared storms and she would rush to her mother to find comfort whenever there was a storm. After she died, the mother asked that her tomb be fitted with a small glass panel at her daughter's head. A little creepy, but not completely odd. The mother then requested that access to the buried coffin be made by way of a narrow stairway leading down nearly six feet. Her mother also had a metal trap door installed at the top of the stairs to be able to protect her from wind and rain when she was visiting her daughter where she sat reading and singing to her until maybe the storm passed. 
The grave of Florence Irene Ford is located in Natchez City Cemetery at 1927 Cemetery Road in Natchez, Adams County, Mississippi, if you want to go visit. The letters on memorial stones read R.I.P. and means rest in peace. And much of the time they do. But sometimes fame follows death and causes unrest. Not of the spirits of the famous, but of their bodies caused by others. Graham Parsons, the musician who was instrumental, sorry for the pun, in bringing the genre of country rock to the public, died of a drug overdose. Prior to this, after attending a fellow musician's very Catholic funeral service, Graham said to a friend, you know, this is bull. If I die, I want somebody to have a few beers, take me out to the desert, and burn my body. One wonders if alcohol or drugs were involved at that moment. And so, late in the evening of September 20th, 1973, after Graham's death, two drunken men wearing rhinestone jackets and cowboy hats drove a hearse into Los Angeles Airport and stole the corpse of Graham Parsons. The body was taken to Joshua Tree National Park and placed by a formation called Cap Rock. The casket was doused with gasoline and set fire. The body wasn't totally destroyed and was reclaimed by his family, then taken back to New Orleans for proper funeral rites and burial. The two men who absconded with the body were arrested, but could only be charged with the theft of the casket, as there was no law regarding stealing a body. Actor John Barrymore, the grandfather to actress and talk show host Drew Barrymore, died in 1942. So Drew never knew her grandfather. His friends Raoul Walsh, the director, and Errol Flynn, the actor, were mourning their friend's death, drowning their sorrows with much alcohol. Walsh left the bar before Flynn and, with some help, went to the mortuary and stole Barrymore's body. They took the body to Flynn's house and sat it up in a chair. Flynn came home shortly and saw the body. It was reported that Flynn fled his home, running and screaming down the road. Wouldn't you? Gee, John, I thought you were dead. What are you doing here? What would have been funny is if they had had a speaker mounted up behind the body. Hey, Earl. Marilyn Monroe died tragically in 1962. Her body was interred at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in a crypt. The man entombed above her made a pact with his wife that after his death, he didn't want to show his back to Marilyn for eternity, so he wanted her to entomb him face down, which she did. After the funeral, the funeral director and his wife turned the body over, so now he faces Marilyn for eternity. Another Marilyn-related story involves the tomb of one Stevie Don Cochran. On the plaque identifying Cochran's resting place, there are some helpful directions. Marilyn is right around the corner, and she is, in the next group of crypts. Strange burials always draw attention. Sandra West, a wealthy California woman who was married to a wealthy Texas oil man, died in 1977. 
her final request to be buried in her nightgown sitting in the driver's seat of her 1964 powder blue Ferrari, a wedding present from her husband years earlier. The wish was granted. A 9 by 17 foot, 9 foot deep hole was dug at Alamo Masonic Cemetery in San Antonio, yay us, beside her husband and his family plot. And aside about the family West, the town of George West was named for her husband's great uncle or granduncle. Once the crate carrying Mrs. West and her car was lowered into place, concrete was poured over and around it to discourage grave robbers. It is said that there was a group of about 300 people watching the burial. Probably didn't know her from Eve, but they wanted to see this strange burial. We bounce back to Paris for this one. Again, the Père Lachaise Cemetery. Now this one might be a bit risque. The tomb of one Victor Noir is simply covered with a representation of a well-dressed man. Cue the ZZ top here. In history, the act of rubbing a statue grants good luck. In Victor's case, for ladies, placing a rose in his hat, which is represented laying beside his right leg, kissing his lips and rubbing his uh, prominent manhood bulge will guarantee enhanced fertility and a blissful sex life. Not sure what Victor's romantic prowess was, but his image's pants have one button undone. Further, rubbing his right boot will grant pregnancy, although there are more mechanics involved in that situation. And rubbing his left boot assures twins. It's interesting to note that the left boot isn't quite as polished as the right. Lastly, Lily Gray died in 1958, about 65 years ago. In Utah, her grave remains the subject of fierce speculation and debate because of the mysterious message inscribed on her headstone. It reads, Victim of the Beast 666. That's written under Gray's name. And it's a reference to the book of Revelation in the New Testament and the Antichrist. The gravestone has primrose flowers etched in the upper corners. The primrose is nicknamed the Devil's Lantern. But it also indicates a deep sense of love and longing and missing someone. So why does her grave bear that mysterious message? It is believed that it could be Elmer Gray who was Lily's somewhat strange husband, was angry with the government for not letting him ride in the ambulance with Lily to the hospital, as was the state law then, where she died of a pulmonary embolism. Could that be the reason he had the words victim of the beast written on her tombstone? Is the beast, in this case, the government? No one knows. Well, that's what I have for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed bringing it to you. Some of it was funny. Some of it was um, not so funny, but all of it was interesting. That's what I have for this week. So you folks enjoy, have a great week, and come back and see us again. Happy Halloween, everybody.